Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. I'm glad to hear you're well, and I hope everyone else is and stays well. Amen to that. So how do you feel on the eighth consecutive Shabbos that we won't be in shul and having completed seven complete weeks of isolation? It's a double sphere this year, but that's... Uh, I find it tolerable, except exhausting. As I said, this is a phone-demic, not an epidemic. <laughs> I never seem to get off of the conference calls and Zoom calls and literally 10, 12 hours a day. And so work progresses, and people are adjusting. And we'll see what, what all of this will mean, God willing, when this is over, hopefully soon. Yeah, hopefully soon is right. And uh, we are, look, uh, thank God. Uh, many people, obviously including yourself, Baruch Hashem, uh, are working, and we are so concerned about our friends and neighbors and community members who's, uh, who, who are waiting very, very anxiously uh, to get back to their jobs and get back to the industries that have been completely shut down. And maybe, who knows, maybe over the next couple of weeks, and it's now May 1st, we know that officially this is supposed to end, meaning the complete lockdown on May 15th, maybe over the next couple of weeks we're going to see some movement in that direction, it would really, really be good. Because I know that, again, this, despite how busy you are in terms of the workday, I'm sure you know plenty of people are anxious to get back to their workday. Many, and I understand it, and there are many who cannot do their work uh, remotely, um, or at least uh, only a minimal amount of it. Yeah. Uh, but we shouldn't rush people. We shouldn't build expectations, because we, we still don't know. We have to see when this is tested in Israel. As you know, tomorrow, the, the uh, Sunday, the class is for first to third, but it's every other day, and it's under really strict conditions. So we can't predict, and people shouldn't, uh, you know, get antsy about this. It's better to be sure and certain um, before we take uh, steps. You know, they still don't have a vaccine. We still don't know even when one would be available. And, uh, you know, the predictions that there could be, there will be a second round. We don't know if it mutates. So I hope people will be patient especially those who are more vulnerable. But as we've seen in the last weeks, everybody is vulnerable, people without underlying conditions, younger people, women. So I hope people are just patient and, most of all, adhere to the rules. Adhere to the rules. This is not a war against the police or anybody else. People have to understand. And, uh, you know, we saw enough Chalal Hashem during the, this week, as we have sometimes in the past, and some of the terrible things that were said in response to it, especially by the mayor, um, but we have to, people have to give this time. This is a really serious threat. We've suffered great losses. And I think only when this is over, the day after, can we begin to assess that. You know, they're talking, uh, or actually there, there are reports that the police actually sat down and arranged with the community leaders in Williamsburg uh, a plan for that funeral. Now, I know it got out of hand, and I know that they, they unfortunately had many, many more people than they had prepared for and expected. Uh, but uh, I, the reaction was not only a reaction that I think people in our community took offense to because of the language used. I think the reaction was also because uh, of the cooperation that New York City officials were giving to the community in Williamsburg. Well, there, there were people who were critical of the police for, for doing it. There were people who were critical that there were other gatherings when the uh, flyovers and set, et cetera, and there were crowds gathered in, in parks and other places. So, you know, the, if you're going to impose these rules have got to be universally imposed, and uh, but also people have, there are ways that they could have accommodated, you know, lining. And when they tell you to break up, when you see that there's a really outsized crowd, 
because the people will pay the price ultimately because in that kind of crowd many didn't wear masks and they can yep. spread the the virus amongst themselves so and now we know that, that anybody of any age could spread it and now we really know that anybody of any age can be a victim unfortunately exactly. um on the vaccine side i saw that a company has uh, doubled down and went all in on a vaccine that's now being tested in the uk and they're committed to having uh, hundreds of millions of doses by the end of this calendar year. And they know they may be getting this wrong because uh, the, you know, the trials have just begun on human beings. It's worked in animals. Uh, but that would be amazing if we, could, if we could know that a vaccine would be readily available once we hit the peak of winter coming up. It would be very good. And Gilad Science also has a drug which is still being tested. There's still those who say that hydroxychloroquine, whatever it's called, uh, um, our people are still advocating for that. And as you know, there's stuff coming out of Israel, two companies that are working on stem cell treatments uh, that seem to have a lot of promise. And the FDA, others are giving money to, to expedite those processes. Hopefully from all of this, and you have Gilad Sciences in, uh, in not Gilad, um, Migal in Israel in the north that is, has something that's already being animal tested. Uh, so God willing, out of something, we will get uh, a treatment. By the way, on the school thing in Israel, I mean, you did describe that there's, I think that's where you got cut off, by the way. It sounded like you were about to mention that entire communities in Israel, are there certain segments that refuse to open the schools or are not listening to the... Uh... No, there were there were communities that are have been sealed off again till ah. m- Monday because of an outbreak, because of the number of new cases. And I said, you know, we can't take it for granted. We don't know how, what the impact on teachers, on the kids, because kids can often be carriers, as has been found, even if they don't exhibit any signs. Um, And, you know, we we have to see what happens when people start getting on buses and people start going back towards normal life and elevators. And, you know, there has to be uh, the social distancing and they have to wear masks and there are a lot of other restrictions. Someone said to me this morning from Israel that it's it's a I mean they they called it a war obviously it's not that but it's a very sensitive topic now about opening the schools they feel they can't send people back to work without the the guns at least the kindergartens being open uh, because there are a lot of little, little kids in Israel obviously and it would be very difficult on the parents but then again uh, so many people as you just described you know are wary about opening up school situations like that it's a terrible catch twenty two it's a terrible domino effect and. You know, I'm I'm sitting here complaining out loud to everybody, and the truth is none of us know. None of us know what the future brings. None of us know exactly what the right thing to do is now. And the economy, you can't let the economy go to ruins. This is going to take people's lives, too. People are threatened by the fact that it's not only their personal poverty, but the closing of of businesses, and, you know, that will be permanent. So many other ramifications that we don't even know, let alone the loss of, in our community, of so many Rabbanim and uh, people, Jews, that you know, we'll, we'll feel that as well. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, what do you know about this Paris ramming and, uh, and the perpetrator who was uh, supposedly in uh, solidarity with his Palestinian brethren? That's so far what we know. You know, it's not that unusual, unfortunately, that uh, these incidents go on. We see it in um, many countries in Europe, and it gets very little coverage now. Obviously, the exposure of people is more limited because they're still under lockdown. But, you know, the anti-Semitic attacks here and there uh, have not stopped. And, in fact, we've seen um, the the numbers of incidents, not only the increased anti-Semitism online, and especially blaming Jews for the pandemic and and, um, 
the, the, all of the attendant uh, blood libel charges that we've seen. We saw the report from Canada that it's the, um, the fourth straight year that it was a record number of incidents, over 2,200 wow. uh, last year. That was an increase, I think they said, of 8% over the year before, and they're more bra- uh, brazen and more violent um, uh, incidents. But the online uh, uh, BDS and Palestinian sources and others who have been, and left and right, of course, who are trying to leverage uh, the coronavirus to defame Israel, blaming Israel about Gaza, when in fact the opposite is the truth, that Israel, the truth is Israel has provided them with medicine, allowed in medicines, there's no uh, stopping it, but we see that there is a worldwide uh, response to the, to the um, to this, to this campaign and that the increasing virulence of the anti-Semitic uh, stuff that, that is online. There's no cure for it, but we do have to uh, pay attention to it. And, and this will come back to our campuses and uh, other places. And so when people think that anti-Semitism and these attacks are hibernating, it, it is not the case. And there's an 18% of study that showed that last year 18% increase in Europe in uh, anti-Semitic attacks, and that half of Americans say American Jews say that, that they uh, witnessed or know or directly know of an anti-Semitic attack in the last five years, uh, which is a significant increase over over the past. Uh, John Michael Rathbun. Uh, in Massachusetts, goes back 10 days or more, was charged with trying to blow up a Jewish-assisted living center that had been targeted for attack on a white supremacist website that promoted a Jew killing day. This was up in Massachusetts. What do you know about him, and what do you know about Jew killing day? I know that, unfortunately, the people who threaten these attacks are not getting sentenced. Sometimes they're allowed just to walk out of the courtroom Um and we have seen these um, these kind of campaigns. We don't, it's very hard to trace whether these are organized efforts as an individual, as a small group. I know that it was being investigated. I've not seen yet any report on that investigation. Uh, but we know that these are sustained efforts. They come from the extreme right, or you can have from the extreme left, uh, sometimes different forms of manifestation of the anti-Semitism. Um, and... Um, there are positive steps, as you saw the government of Germany uh, banned Hezbollah finally, something that we and others have been urging for a long time, uh, because they made a distinction between the, the military arm and the political arm, you know, obviously a, a baseless uh, distinction. But they finally did it. They went and police arrested people in Berlin and Bremen and other places, The uh, and uh, outlawed, the Minister of the Interior outlawed um, Hezbollah's activities. Uh, hopefully, they'll really pursue it and that every country in Europe will, will finally wake up to that reality that you can't uh, tolerate. And by the way, related to that, and people, maybe there are those who are affected in your audience, that this past week went into effect the law passed by the United States that uh, enables uh, people to sue the PA, the Palestinian Authority, over the terrorists, um, terrorist attacks. The law was passed in 2019, but just went into effect. And the this is a, a very important um, expression because it holds the PA to account. And this is started because of their refusal to pay damages to families of hundreds of Israelis and Americans who were murdered or hurt 
in their attacks and terrorist attacks in Israel. And the courts have um, ruled often in the U.S. that the PA is responsible and it's obligated to to pay the victims. I I hear that the number is uh, over $400 million that it owes terror victims. So this is uh, a new tool to um, to try to bring them account and maybe end the pay for slave policy, which continues until today. So a lot of that money that went from the U.S. to the PA now may be on its way back. <laughs> no, that money was very specifically for fighting the coronavirus. But this, uh, you know, the money that they give to the terrorists maybe right. would stop. And the, they spend, you know, probably three, four hundred million dollars on the money given to terrorists or their families as the, the rewards and the. the compensation, uh, and they pay for life, uh, pensions to those who are in prison. Right. So that's where the money could come from. Yeah, I was being a drop sarcastic, but it sounded like you realized that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored uh, uh, digital radio <laughs> around the world, the web at com on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. By the way, I just want to mention mykosher.com. Uh, My Kosher Kid Cooks video contest has begun. Kids, submit your own cooking videos for a chance to win great prizes. Go for details to MyKosher.com. And special hello to our friend Kim from Keiko and Kosher.com on this Friday morning here at JM in the AM. By the way, I'm sure you noticed this, but I thought it was... It is amazing when 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 a... It seems when when some of the COVID... As we've termed them, recoveries. Obviously, I mean those who've recovered from COVID. Um, when when it's discovered that they are World War II veterans, when it's discovered they're Holocaust survivors, their communities are paying special tribute to them, which is amazing. I'm sure you saw the Dachau survivor who was uh, serenaded by the IDF and U.S. Navy with an amazing version of Hatikva, all done virtually, of course, through Zoom, etc. One of the one of the nice parts, or one of the nice news stories of this whole terrible episode is the recognition of that generation and uh, and the way people are reacting when someone of that background survives. That's right, but it's not just those who, who well, they are survivors, but not necessarily of uh, COVID in Israel and elsewhere where they, the police went and uh, right. saluted during the moment of silence, the right. victims of uh, uh, Shoah, right. that the, um, I mean, the survivors of Shoah, and to see young people who went around to all of the homes and they, uh, the old age homes and serenaded them from outside and carrying signs and the people were saying how much it meant to them uh, to see that spirit. And I think, by the way, that, that Israel will emerge from this with a new sense of commitment to the country, with a new sense of community and unity. You've seen the demonstrations on the balconies singing and dominating and, and um, uh, praising the, the first responders and honoring the doctors and, and uh, nurses when they came. And this kind of expression, which spread across the country. I have a friend who started a program, David Atchwell, in for St. Tillam, and it, over 100,000 to him were said. Wow. Uh, and, you know, these are not stories they get out, but there is a real sense of commitment, I think, emerging. And uh, I hope that it will be sustained. That's why these divisions and some of those who sow divisions here or there and those who engage in irresponsible activities and slanderous comments should be held to account by the community as a whole. Unfortunately, we all too often march as lemmings behind some of these things, and we recently experienced it, But but the... Um, opportunities are 
that we've seen in Israel, where the creative approaches to try and make sure that Holocaust survivors are not alone, to see how many young people volunteered to bring food, to deliver uh, stuff to people, not just young, but people who, who were able to get out and, and do it. It's really an amazing story, it's an, and it's across the whole country, and often it's spontaneous reactions to, to what has happened, and we've seen it here too. Uh, all the wonderful activity, the chesed, that someday I hope somebody can document how much is, is being done, how many people are being fed, how many um, you know, people are being looked after. Unfortunately, there are still a lot of people who are isolated, and anybody who knows of, of not just survivors, but older people especially who may not be able to get out or those who are homebound, that we reach out to them. With that in mind, and I'm so glad you brought up the spirit and the brotherhood and sisterhood that the worldwide Jewish community, but uh, especially in Israel, are now experiencing. Jewish Agency Chairman Isaac Herzog expects that up to 100,000 people may leave their home countries for Israel or make Aliyah once the current global health emergency is under control. Do you see a big immediate future for Aliyah because of COVID-19? I think the number is a little high. Um, I don't know what basis he made it. He's a responsible guy, so if he says something, it's, uh, it could be hopeful, but it could be based on some sort of realistic assessment. And I, I don't even know what, what that basic uh, assessment is. He said uh, in the past, after many crises in Jewish communities... That's true. It, it does happen, and there'll be a lot of families, like here, who maybe in financial circumstances where having the ability to get free tuition, to have their kids get a good Jewish education without it. That's a huge issue, as you know, for, for many people. And also, also, it's a watershed event, like people who have been planning and thinking about it, you know, exactly. everyone's looking for a reset to their family in, in different ways. You know? Right, but that's why I'm a little reluctant about using the number, but right. I do think that people will rethink where they are, you know, Israel is considered one of the safest, and some poll even the safest country to to visit. Uh, I mean, to to in fighting the virus. Right. Uh, unfortunately, we can't visit yet, and hopefully that will come soon. But not it won't come too soon, or not certainly not soon enough. But the the uh, I think that there may be a different attitude. I think that I hope also that there'll be more of a sense of community that will emerge from this. I know the strains are going to be immense. I see it on the institutions and the reports that we get and, you know, how many financial strains, how many places may not open, reopen, camps, we don't know what will happen. To, and if we approach this as a community and support one another and support the institutions, that we think about the teachers, others, people who may not be getting paid, that we have to make sure that we come out of this as a whole community, that the virus not defeat us, but we defeated, and that we come out stronger because of it. You know, this week, of course, Yomat Smut, and we spent a lot of time on the topic this week here, uh, and you just mentioned not being able to fly to Israel, and there has been, uh, it, it is hard for us, those of us who grew up with a state of Israel, and who had, and who have always been told by prior generations, make sure your passport is always valid, it's hard for us to ever imagine a time when there was no safe haven for Jews to run to in time of crisis. Thank God. The, in, in the countries that we're familiar with, uh, there is no crisis now, thank God. But if, God forbid, there was somewhere, no one would be able to get on a plane right now and go to Israel. And it, 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 this is the first time, except maybe post-9-11, but that, that lasted a much shorter period of time, 
Uh, this is the first time that, I, that the collective Jewish diaspora is feeling that emotion that they cannot physically now be in Israel. And I think it's something important to point out as we remember the chesed of the countries in which we now live. Yeah, people, but we also should note how Israel sent El Al planes to bring back stranded Jews, Israelis, all over the world, including a record flight from uh, Australia, but to send planes to South American countries where there were hundreds or, or of um, Israelis who had been on vacation or, you know, on those trips or whatever, and to send them all over the world to pick them up is a remarkable demonstration. I don't know how many countries did that, you know, were concerned enough for their citizens that they would engage in that expense, and they were not charged for it, from what I understand, that they were flown back to, to be in Israel. And the numbers together total thousands uh, of people. So it's, uh, you know, Mikam Chal Yisrael, we've seen it over and over again, and we've seen how important uh, the state of Israel is in, in all of this. Yesterday, President Rivlin talked with Governor Cuomo, and, and there are many joint efforts uh, underway. There's, in fact, in fact, a bill in Congress to expand the U.S.-Israel collaboration in fighting uh, COVID. Um, you know, we've seen people rise to the occasion in terms of, of uh, wanting to see the support for Israel and that Israel's assistance uh, is sustained even in the difficult times and the, the difficult economic times ahead when all of these bills have to be paid for the aid that people are receiving. Um, and by the way, there was one other thing on the, I wanted to say that while there was good news in Germany, there was bad news in the UK because the courts there ruled that uh, you can't bar the on the basis of um, um, the discrimination uh, over the BDS campaign that uh, they couldn't be outlawed. So that's a, that was a setback. Yeah, and that is a setback. And it's funny because most of the BDS style or, or BDS themed. Um, uh, efforts have been, you know, have been going the right way generally. Generally, yes, and courts ruling and et cetera. But here, the, the, it was said that the companies could not and fund pension fund administrators uh, couldn't be stopped from investment. Those investments, the decisions, um, the the government had argued that the uh, guidance was put in place to ensure that decisions that impact the defense of foreign policy were not undermined by local boycotts. Now we'll have to see if this will be replicated in the courts in Spain where they have ruled against, in, in multiple occasions, against the city laws supporting BDS. Now we'll have to see whether this, um, whether this continues. What is the current status of the B.B. Gantz uh, unity government? Uh, yep. That's where it is. It's, mo it's moving ahead? <laughs> Everybody's guess is good, but it looks like it will be wrapped up. They only have a few more days because if not, if they don't meet the deadline set by <coughs> I'm sorry, the president, um, then we're going to be headed to elections. Uh, right now, and, and there are certain rules in this agreement, including the number of members of the Knesset that ha have to be in the coalition or that will vote in support of the legislative packages. The summer's in the 70s. Uh, 73 or 75, uh, and without Bennett, um, they may have to reach the Smutrich or others to be to be able to reach that number. But if the deal breaks, then it goes to we're going to go to an August 4th election because it has to be after Tishabov. This I, I didn't realize that that um, that so, so Bennett. I keep thinking that 
that Bennett and BB are, you know, in this dance of trying to, you know, form some type of political relationship or a stronger one, let's put it, uh, thinking that BB really has no interest in it. But he does. He does. He, there, there is actually a reason why he would. Well, he may want to go to an election because all the polls show that he would do very well and they might be able to put together a coalition. You know, Blue and White is now been destroyed uh, or dissolved. And um, so, but but there is a personal tension, as you know, they don't get along. And that really, I think he would like to see him outside the government. Um, I don't know about Shaked. I mean, there were a lot of people who who wanted to see her in the government as well. But But is the simple simple answer to, does BB need Bennett still yes? Is it still a yes? We will see. Wow. As I said, there are alternatives. Right. And uh, it looked like politically, it was just throwing him, throwing him to the side. You know, going through these formalities of talks and and eventually just giving him some. There are people who have said that analysts who who are arguing that you know he he doesn't want him, and this is just you know what you know what might end up being the indication in the end. <laughs> in hindsight, him it depends on what job he gets. <laughs> if he gets a really really bad you know position. Well, he wanted education, right? Which he won't get if BB's right, not yeah. trying to entice him with anything. So we don't. We haven't seen that move yet, but it's still open. So, so what's the, what's the, if we're at this stage now, the way you just described of this, you know, road to the unity government? Why is there so much annexation talk right now? What's going on with this July first deadline? And is that a, a, a Knesset issue? Is it a prime minister issue? What's the story with that? So there, it is in the agreement, that, and there's very few legislative initiatives. The first months they're only supposed to deal with COVID and the aftermath and dealing with the economy, et cetera. Right. But the exception was that uh, Netanyahu put in there that they would start discussion of annexation uh, on June 1st. And now we don't know yet what annexation means. We don't know what the conditions will be. The United States has said it's up to Israel, and and it is supported by the deal of the century generally, but they said it should be in the context of outreach to the Palestinians. We will have to see uh, wh- whether it will mean just Iwan and Maladumim and a few other areas at first. It could be staged. It could be, you know, in stages. It could be that they will just uh, assert Israeli law in those areas. We'll have to see how it's defined, but, but both parties basically agree with it, certainly the Jordan Valley. And that has been a longstanding position, including the Alon plan and uh, many other prime ministers talked about it. Rabin, uh, I think, supported it. Um, but you know what? It, it, right now, I think that they're not dealing with the specifics. There's a lot of opposition. The EU has already come out. The UN has warned them. Many others have come out in uh, warning Israel against this move, including people from the United States, members of the Congress, uh, some Democratic um, leaders. Uh, uh, in fact, many have uh, spoken against it. Uh, some who believe that it kills a two-state solution. Some who believe it will be provocative. Wow. Um, and there are those who, who proposed even that there be punishment of Israel for doing it. Finally, yeah. finally, Malcolm, is Rasmussen right in the Wall Street Journal that this Iranian satellite launch uh, has shown U.S. officials and other experts that, in fact, their missile program is much, much stronger than anybody ever thought? It, it, it is stronger. It is, um, it's not that we haven't thought about it and have talked about it, but this, this launch was very important because this is a military uh, satellite. It was done by the IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard. It, um, we, we saw some of uh, this capability developing, but the satellite 
which uh, one American official said is like a stumbling webcam. It's a very small, it really doesn't have a lot of intelligence purposes for high-resolution pictures. But what is important is that this is a, a stage, it's a cover for their development of their ICBM, of their intercontinental ballistic missiles. So they're building and using this because it's permitted to do space launches, it's not permitted to do launches that could have uh, military implications that could carry a nuclear weapon. This, these same missiles can be outfitted with a nuclear uh, weapon, and instead of a satellite to carry a nuclear uh, weapon, and that it's, it's done to test uh, that to develop that capacity, just as they are advancing their nuclear capacity, the um, and as you know, in six months the the arms embargo is going to be lifted. The United States is introducing a resolution in the United Nations Security Council to extend it. The, the U.S. contends that they still have they are still members, even if they withdrew from it, but they're still part. I still have a say in this, and that. And President Obama actually mentioned that in, in when he was president, um, and that some of the Pelosi came out and said, "Well, you can't have both ways." Others, but but the fact is that the administration is going all out to make sure that this is extended because the Russians and Chinese are preparing to sell them weapons and are already probably negotiating or have negotiated those deals, and we don't want to see Iran opened up to to purchasing it. They they are in terrible dire economic straits yet. We see that they they uh, are sending planes, Mahan Air, which is under sanction from the U.S., to, to Venezuela, three flights a week with equipment and material because they're trying to support the Maduro government. Wow. And the and right and the and and it affects other countries, you know, adjacent to Venezuela. But they have made this big investment. Mahan Air was the airline that was flying the equipment and stuff into Syria. To, to Iranian troops came under, uh, you know, very tough U.S. sanctions. And yet we've seen now these flights in the last uh, couple of weeks, and, and this is a developing story that we'll learn much more about. And also we saw in Iran that they announced and are developing stealth drones. We believe that they were used in the attack on Saudi Arabia, but they think they have now with a 2,000-kilometer range, which means they can hit Israel and not Europe, but the, the ICBMs would endanger the United States and Europe. And all this while they could spread the propaganda in their country that the U.S. is at its knees with uh, the total lockdown and with over a million cases, etc. The numbers, the numbers in itself can just you know, uh, give and them... And lying the... about their own cases, right. which are astronomical. They, we, we've already begun to see some manifestations, but you know, because the country was, was under lockdown, the big demos, demonstrations uh, didn't occur, but they will. Um, I mean, there's so much going on in regard to Iran and, and uh, elsewhere in the world that doesn't get any attention because all of the focus and all the news is is and rightfully I guess on on Koban, yeah. you know Lebanon they've set banks on fire there are demonstrations in Tripoli and Beirut and other places there were riots uh, for on economic reasons that the extent of the poverty we see Hezbollah has lost a lot of its funding from uh, I- I- Iran and has cut back on their intelligence operations they closed a thousand offices and apartments in Lebanon itself because they sent their people to Iraq because of after Soleimani's killing and to Yemen and to Syria so they don't have the personnel, the they uh, there were Molotov cocktails thrown at the at the police. The, the um, currency, which was pegged, set at fifteen hundred to the U.S. dollar, fifteen hundred pounds, is now four thousand pounds to the dollar. Unbelievable. And so there's widespread poverty. There were demonstrations, and and the Hezbollah's hold there has been uh, shrinking because of the economic impact of the reduced funding. 
Unbelievable. A reminder to our listeners, if you want to print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world, head to our friends at jewishworldreview.com. Again, jewishworldreview.com, great resource on a daily basis, and certainly Erev Shabbos when you want uh, really important material to read over the weekend. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful, safe, and healthy Shabbos, and hopefully, hopefully soon, we will take the month of May and go from isolation to uh, more of a normal lifestyle. Celebration. Yeah, exactly. Celebration is right. Thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Take care. Have a great Shabbos and be safe. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays. Weekly update here at JM and the AM.